Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops Podcast, BJ Armstrong, LA, Eric Newman, New York. It is Thursday. The sun is down on the East Coast. It's a late recording time for us. And I didn't think in the conference finals, which have been thrilling, which have been fun, I didn't think that we'd be 3-1 Miami with the Celtics facing elimination tomorrow night. But here we are. BJ, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Get right to it. We got a lot to talk about. Eastern Conference Finals. Eastern Conference Finals. Heat Celtics. I was having flashbacks to KG doing the push-ups on his fists, to LeBron James, to Rondo, to Wade, hoping, hoping this would go seven. Right now, the Heat are on the brink. One game from the finals, and no better person to join us tonight to discuss the Miami Heat and everything they've accomplished, the one and only Ethan Skolnick. So, BJ, as um, as well as this series is not going for the Celtics, I, I've got to say, I am <laughs> thrilled to welcome uh, an old friend to the program tonight as our guest. And if there is one man that could break down everything Miami Heat and Heat culture, that is Ethan Skolnick, CEO, Five Reasons Sports, and the host of the Five on the Floor podcast. So without further ado, my former colleague, longtime friend, Ethan Skolnick, welcome to the Pure Hoops podcast. Thanks for joining us, buddy. I know you're on high demand one game from the NBA Finals. Yeah, I wasn't on high demand during the Whiteside Waiters days as much. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, it was hard to book me. Um, but, uh, since the heat decided to stop overpaying, uh, lethargic role guys, <laughs> all, all, all of a sudden I'm back in high demand. Um, it, it's funny when Pat Riley remembers who he is and, uh, and, and starts, starts to run the show the right way again. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting time. I, you know, I feel like I was a little bit out on an Island before this season because I really liked this heat team, uh, coming into camp. I had him third in the East. A lot of people thought that was nuts. They ended up finishing fifth, but I almost think that was kind of unfair because they kind of threw that last game against Indiana. They didn't play anybody. They might have been the four. And I actually think if the season had played out, if you looked at what the Heat schedule was the last uh, 18 to 20 games, it was very soft. And Boston's was more difficult. I actually think they might have chased down the Celtics for the three seed you know, if, if there hadn't been a COVID break. So I, I liked their team a lot. Um, my justification of it was basically that if you gave Eric Spolstra an uncluttered roster with clearly defined roles, clear leadership that he trusted in Butler and Dragic, and, and then you added some young players to the mix who wanted to work and wanted to try to defend and would get with the program, that 
he could do some magical things with it. And I think that's what's happened here. Um, I don't know necessarily that I thought Tyler Hero would develop to this stage at this point um, or that Duncan Robinson would become the best shooter on earth after playing for Williams College. But, you know, I did like their mix and I did think Jimmy was the perfect fit for their quote unquote culture. And that part has proven true. You know, there's that word culture. And that's a term now we hear in sports and sports terminology. But before I ask you, what is the culture down there in Miami? The confidence that these young players are playing with in Miami is really, I mean, it's its terrific. I mean, you don't see this often. You, you see Tyler Hero, you see Duncan Robinson, you see Bam, you see these young players who are playing with so much confidence. What would you attribute to the confidence that you're seeing with these young players in mixture with the veterans that they've added to this group? Because they really have something special there. At least it appears to be from the outside looking in. Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I think some of these guys came in with that. Uh, Tyler Hero has always had it. If you watched him in high school, he thrived in playing in other gyms and kind of proving to people he was better than they expected him to be. So some of these guys came in with it. But I also think what we've seen over the past few years with the Heat is the complete evolution to an Eric Spolster organization. Uh, that Pat Riley has empowered Eric more over time and they became a development culture. Um, the big three era, they really didn't develop any players because there wasn't time, right? You, you were trying to win on LeBron's clock and on Dwayne's clock and they, you know, Norris Cole turned out to be an okay player for them. But other than that, they didn't develop anybody. And then they went through this kind of post LeBron funk, right? Where then you had, they were trying to build around Bosch. They maxed him out and obviously had the blood clots and they couldn't do that. And a lot fell on Dwayne. And of course, the, the made, you know, they trade for two, two first round picks for Goran Dragic. And that day, Bosch is diagnosed with blood clots, right? So you never got to see that team fully develop. But after they made those mistakes, you know, with Whiteside and Waiters, et cetera, James Johnson, uh, Tyler Johnson overpaying those guys, they pretty much turned the keys over to Eric to sort of recreate the culture. And so I think what it's a combination and what's empowered the young guys is that you have. Pat Riley coming out last year after the season and saying, I let the culture slip. And as soon as I said mm. that, I said, Hassan and Dion are gone. Okay. Cause he wasn't going to tolerate anymore. Then they go out and what they really needed was a player to say he wanted to be in Miami. And Jimmy was that guy. He wanted to be in Miami for uh, more than a year before the trade actually happened and to align him with Eric. And they are, I've, I've said, you know, and obviously you BJ, you played during this era. I mean, Riley had his Zoe, okay? Zoe would parrot everything that Pat ever said, okay? To the point that we thought they were Zoeisms. They were actually <laughs> Rileyisms. <laughs> but it was, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I'd heard, you know, Lonzo Morning in the locker room, you know, adversity introduces a man to himself. And I'm like, okay, Pat said that last week. And you know, here you go. Well, Spo never really reached LeBron in quite that way. But Jimmy bought in immediately. Well, I shouldn't say immediately. He tested him for a week. He went back to his agent, Bernie Lee, and he said, I'm done testing him. He's the best coach I've ever played for. And that's it. Really? And once, once he was – and he loves Tibbs too, but Spo was his guy immediately. And once that happened, Jimmy started to develop that culture with the young players. Tyler Heroes drafted. Jimmy he, – he, he texts Jimmy. Jimmy invites him to his place in Chicago and says, you're staying a week with me. They worked out for a week together in Chicago. Jimmy had to close on a property in South Florida. He said, you're coming with me. 
He went with him to the closing. Okay, I wrote about this. He, Jimmy decided that he was going to empower the young guys. And Tyler talked about – Tyler was on our pod two days ago, and he talked about that, that that doesn't happen in every organization. So you have a combination of Eric Spolstra valuing development, right, valuing a Duncan Robinson who played at Williams College before he went to Michigan and was undrafted, okay, um, valuing a Kendrick Nunn who was basically right. stolen from Golden State's right. uh, you know, G League team on the last day of the season the previous year. Valuing a Derek Jones Jr., who, you know, the sons of all teams, okay, let go, uh, you know, a, a player with that kind of upside and then finding a role for him. Okay, maybe he's not an, you know, a 30-minute-a-game player, but at the top of the zone, he's pretty effective, okay, and there's a lot of things we do. So it's a combination of, of Spolster valuing the young players, them having this development culture, which really didn't exist as much under Pat in recent years, and then – having young guys who believe in themselves, but also having veterans like a Butler, like a Dragic, like a Haslam, whose role is still immense in that locker room. It's probably, in terms of voices, he still has the loudest one, even though he doesn't play. Having those three guys, and then the trade they made at the deadline, um, which was basically saying, okay, Justice Winslow doesn't really want to be here anymore. He didn't seem to want to come back. They, there were some differences about you know, him coming back from the injury. Most teams, most organizations would hold on to a guy like that. We drafted him 10th. We're going to make this thing work. We want to make a starting program. No. Riley was like, okay, we can get – they love Jay Crowder for years. We can get Jay Crowder. We can bring in Andre, okay, give us more veteran leadership. They kept flexibility for 2020. And they kept flexibility for 2021, which is where they're really targeting. And to bring in those guys, and so now you've added two more veterans in Iguodala and Crowder to support Butler, Dragic, Haslam. And then you have this core of young players. So it's a really interesting mix. And, and the young players feel empowered. They feel like they matter. And I've covered Heat teams. I've covered the Heat since 1996. I've covered Heat teams where the young players, they didn't feel like they mattered. <laughs> like during the LeBron years, these young players have felt like they mattered. Eric is, is the major reason for that. But I do think a lot of credit goes to, honestly, to Jimmy Butler, um, who said at the beginning of the season, Bam Adebayo is our best player. Right. Bam Adebayo is our best player. Okay. Mm. And Bam needed to be told that because it's not in him necessarily. He's not a flashy person or anything like that. But the belief that Jimmy has shown in Hero and Bam and the way that that's aligned with Eric um, has really been impressive. I, I just had a, a follow-up. Bam. I, I saw him play in college. I liked him. He was athletic. But I didn't see this. What happened? What, 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 what was the turning point for him? BJ, they loved him on draft night. I will tell you that, I mean, when I talked to people that night at the arena, the first thing they said was, we did more research on this kid than anybody else that we've ever done. And one said to me, he's the anti-Hassan. And I was like, okay. And by what they meant by that was it was about everything but the stats, right? That's what became the problem with Whiteside was it was about chasing blocks. It was about that stuff. It was about the max contract. But with Bam, it was this sort of purity that they saw in the way that he played. But also the reason that they saw it, and you notice they went back-to-back Kentucky guys. Pat at the press conference when they drafted Hero, and people in Miami didn't like the Hero pick, okay? It was like, what? That's early, short arms, white kid. What are you doing? Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but when they, when they made that draft pick, he said, no more Duke guys, which is kind of funny because they drafted Winslow. And if you know the Arisons, they're Duke guys, right? It's a, it's a Duke organization. No, he's trusted Cal. 
And I think one of the reasons that he's trusted Calipari is because he has felt that Cal doesn't see, he develops things in practice, but he doesn't sort of, the players don't show it all at Kentucky. And I think that's part of what's happened here. I think Jamal Murray's developed aspects of his game that we didn't see in Kentucky. Carl Anthony Towns was not an outside shooter at Kentucky, right? And now he's one of the best outside shooting bigs in the league, historically great in some ways. Um, And I think with Bam and Tyler, there were things that, that I think Calipari scratched the surface of in their one year each there, but didn't really get to like Bam as a ball handler. Okay which is what one of the things that makes him so unique. I, I think that they worked on that, but he didn't really get a chance to exploit it there. Tyler running pick and roll, which we've seen more and more now in the bubble. And you talk about empowering guys. They came to the bubble. Eric Spolster, I talked to him about this. He decided Tyler Hero was a second-year player. Wasn't a rookie anymore. You just had a three-month break. It's like coming back from a three-month, you know, from your, the end of your first like, like, the all, Literally the offseason. The offseason. So he comes back, and it's one of those things. It's like when you go to summer league and the guys in second year in summer league, you know, are always so, look so much better than the rookies, mm-hmm. right? You know, I remember seeing Andre Drummond his second year in summer league. I'm like, well, he should not be out there anymore. Like the, certain guys like Tyler Hero looks like the guy who comes back to his second year of summer league. Like he, he's – and basically, you know, Spolster said, okay, we've seen enough now. We're going to put the ball in your hands more often. We're going to let you run pick and rolls. Um, we're gonna let you be creative, uh, and and now and now you're seeing that start to blossom. So I I think the trust in Cal, um, the the trust. I, I Bam also said it yesterday. He kind of put the bug in Riley's ear about Hero. You know, obviously he didn't play with him, but he knew about him. And they over. If you look at it, they overdrafted both guys. Both guys were projected to go lower than the Heat picked them. They they were reaches, like you said. But I think they saw two players who are first thing. They're both gym rats. Both of them. Okay, they love to play. They're unselfish as hell. I mean, whether it's however Tyler dresses or, you know, dating an IG model, he, he's still he's a very he's just a hooper. Like he's a hooper. And they that's those when they went through the experiences with again, guys like Whiteside, others who didn't really want to be there were pouting. I think one of the things you see with this team is they love to play, they love to be together, they have the best chemistry of any heat team I've ever covered. And when you saw last night, you saw guys like Kendrick Nunn, Derek Jones Jr., Myers Leonard, Kelly Olenek, who all have been in the rotation or been starters this year. They didn't play in the game last night, and they were jumping on Tyler Harrow like everybody else was. They were totally into it. They, they just have a great vibe about this team and led by Spolstra. And if you – to me, like this is Pat Riley's dream. Get guys in a situation where they can't do anything but play basketball for two months, <laughs> right? Can't do anything – Turn them over. Yep. It's Jimmy Butler's dream, too. It's all he wants to do. It's all Tyler Hero wants to do. And this is why I picked them, you know, to go to the Eastern Conference Finals once they got in the bubble. I didn't think they'd win. I thought they'd lose to Boston in the ECF. I changed my pick as I saw the way they played against Milwaukee, but prior to the playoffs, because I just thought it's a perfect environment for this group. They like each other. Jimmy's best friend in the team is Dragic. Like, they could spend all day together every day. It's just <laughs> Dragic and Jimmy Dragic and Jimmy told their families not to come when they were supposed really? to come. I mean, that's a Pat Riley team. Like, he doesn't want, you know, keep the families away. It's just basketball. And uh, I, I, that's why, that's what's made them incredibly dangerous. So, Ethan, you talk about the culture. You talk about the roster construction. You started to allude to some of the things that you're seeing Hero do on the floor. 
it's one thing to build the team. It's one thing for it to look right on paper, feel right. What's been the key turning point with actual execution, getting into this groove? What, what, what do you think it was? And the second part of that is how much of that did you see pre-shutdown and how much of that was just built upon the return? Well, no, I, I think they were trending the wrong way before the shutdown. Um, the last two, three weeks before the shutdown, you know, they'd made the trade. And Iguodala was a little out of shape, which was natural. Not out of shape because he doesn't get out of shape, but out of basketball shape. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Jay fit, fit better from the very beginning, but they were a little out of sorts. Myers Leonard, who'd been a big part of their starting lineup, got hurt. Hero was hurt. We found out later he actually had COVID at the time. That wasn't really publicized. Um, oh, wow. He had it early. And so there were, um, you know, there were issues there. Uh, with their chemistry and you know the last game before the shutdown they blew a 28 point lead to Charlotte at home I mean they were not they played really well early the season but again that's why I, but going into the bubble I felt the reset for them was going to help them as much as any team and I actually called that the reset was going to hurt Milwaukee more than any other team because Milwaukee had great momentum right but they also had a lot of vets who I thought were going to take some time to kind of get back into shape um and I just, I didn't, I felt like they lost that momentum going into the bubble, whereas I thought the Heat would gain some. Um, but you ask about execution. I mean, the stuff, just look at Duncan Robinson, okay? And I know he's not had a, a big playoffs, okay? But the gravity that he creates, right, as a three-point shooter and what Eric has done with him and the way that they execute the dribble handoffs, this is, in my view, the best coach team that the Miami Heat have ever had. Uh, it's the best Eric Spolscher coaching job, and it's better than any Pat Riley coaching job in Miami. If you watch the way that he's brought the most out of every individual player and then understood when to go to somebody else, like, the, I mean, again, Kendrick Nunn was second in rookie of the year voting yeah. as an undrafted player who yeah. he – and wait, who, well, two things. First, they yeah. drew him in the starting lineup from game one. That's one of the reasons Dion wanted out. Okay, they threw him in the starting lineup from game one and trusted him there and then had to trust in other players to decide when it hasn't gone well for Kendrick in the bubble, he's not going to play at all um, and still have him buy in. He's gotten the most out of it. I, I, he's maximized every player on the roster. And a lot of it is by forcing them to do things you wouldn't think they would do. Like BJ mentioned, bam out of bio where you're running your offense through your five. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, and not just in the half court, but literally he's bringing up the ball half the time. Okay. Um, you know, obviously he's switching and defending one through five, but also all the dribble handoff stuff with Duncan, where now, you know, they basically gave Duncan, you know, tape of Ray Allen to, to watch. Okay. And so they're running a lot of the same stuff they ran for Ray and for Wayne Ellington with Duncan, but they've taken it to another level because Duncan's taller. Um, he's created a little bit of a, uh, you know, he's created a game off of his gravity now where he's become a better passer. Um, they were, the number one offense in the NBA this year when Duncan Robinson was on the floor, they were 15th when he wasn't. So if you want to know why he's still playing, even though he's not there, the teams are keying on him. That's why. But I mean, and then again, to me, the best example, and the other thing Eric noticed and picked up on that no other coach of Jimmy Butler's has picked up on is that Jimmy's best asset offensively is his unselfishness and his playmaking. And I remember uh, Eric sat down with us at media day, which believe it or not, heat media day was literally 362 days ago. It's going to be a full year. I mean, this is how long the season has gone. 
Eric sat down with us a year ago and he looks, he looked so excited. It was like the weight of Whiteside had been lifted off of him because he could not coach him another minute. And, and he basically, he sat down with us and he essentially said to us, um, you know, nobody's talking about Jimmy Butler as a playmaker. And it was just clear. He had already decided how he was going to use him and to play off of Jimmy's inherent unselfishness instead of the, the mythology of his selfishness uh, I think was the key thing that set the tone. And then telling Goran Dragic, who was an all-star two years ago, who still in some ways is their best offensive player <laughs> and telling Goran Dragic, we need you off the bench. You're going to replace Dwayne as our sixth man. We need you off the bench and getting Goran to buy into that is another of, and, and then making the decision in the postseason, okay, we saw Eurobasket Goran in this kind of situation. I want you on the floor for 35 minutes. You're going to start. How many decisions has he had to make to get them to this stage? You know, they don't have a guy on their team who was drafted above ninth overall, and that's their 36-year-old Andre Iguodala. Um, the whole rest hmm. of the team, they're undrafted free agents. Jimmy was drafted 30th. <laughs> yeah. You know, Hero and Bam were middle of the first round. Um, like I said, Duncan's undrafted. Kendrick Nunn's undrafted. DJJ was undrafted. Uh, Myers Leonard was drafted middle first round, but they don't have high picks. He's just maximized everybody. So I said, it's the best, it's the best uh, head coaching job that I've seen in Miami. And Pat's had some good ones, obviously. Yeah, you, you talk about Coach Bo. And every now and then you'll see these coaches take steps. Coach Spo is without question, in my opinion, he's moved into that elite category just on what he is doing this year. I mean, this is an exceptional job he's doing. But the one thing I don't think he gets enough credit on, and I want to hear your hear your um, your comments about, is we always talk about the team taking on the character of its coach. Jimmy gets a lot of credit for his toughness. Talk about Coach Riley and his personality. But Coach Spo coaches with a certain level of intensity and calmness and collectiveness that he brings to the court. And you really see it with this group. And yeah, coaches make decisions like bringing Dragic. And I remember when Steve Kirsch tells the story when he took Andre Iguodala out of the starting lineup. That's a hard conversation to have with a veteran. But clearly this team is bought in because there is a trust factor here. But talk about his basketball integrity and how he's connected with this group. Because clearly he's in charge now. He's coaching with a certain level of confidence. Just for instance, him going this random zone thing that he's doing now against Eric's Celtics seems to seems to have caused a lot of confusion. And well, they never play zone. Let, let me let me let, let me let me let me say one thing. We'd be <laughs> running minute, different. You're not the guest we, here. We'd be we we'd be you. running we we'd be running different <laughs> offense if it was Eric Celtics against this zone. Back to you. I mean, this is. I mean, talk about Coach Spoke now. I mean, he's he's really putting his imprint on this group. Yeah, no, this is more his group than any other. Um, but I think that he is a product of the experiences he's had in Miami, and I think a lot of it does start with when you have stability in an organization and trust there that a lot of things follow from that. And, you know, look, uh, if you go back to when Eric took over in 2008, you know, he had two, I, I, in some ways, incredible seasons because he had really one player. I mean, Dwayne was at the peak of his powers at that point and should have been the MVP in 08, 09. That's the one I know LeBron. I, I know. And I know LeBron well, as Eric knows, 
but I know that there's some that, you know, LeBron feels he should have had. Well, that one he shouldn't have had. That should have been Dwayne's in, in 08, 09. Um, but, you know, he got those two teams to the playoffs. And then, of course, Dwayne said, I need help because they had been holding back on getting him help because they were all targeting the summer of 2010. And then they got him the best help you could possibly get him, right, in 2010. And I remember having a conversation. And, and Eric has told me many times that there were three times he thought he would be fired. Uh, the first time was when they were going to recruit LeBron because why would LeBron want to play for Eric Spolstra, who played for two years and came out of the video room? So that was the first time. The second time was when they started nine and eight and they were screaming at each other in Dallas, and LeBron was pretending not to bump Eric when he bumped Eric. And then they came out of that locker room, out of that players-only meeting where we waited for them for 35 minutes, and Dwayne Wade said, we got to get our bleep together. Um, and then the next day, LeBron's people linked, leaked to ESPN all the stuff that had been going on between LeBron and Spolstra and that LeBron wanted a different coach. And so that was the second time. And then the third time was when LeBron went catatonic in the 2011 finals and they, they obviously, and they lost to Dallas because he couldn't post up JJ Beret all of a sudden. And then Eric thought he was going to get fired there. So three times that Eric thought he was going to get fired, that if he was coaching in another organization, he probably would have been fired. Well, once you're not fired there and you win two championships. And I remember Eric telling me during the middle of that first year with the big three, saying, look, I'm going to be relaxed here because in 25 years, I can say I coached these guys. And that was his attitude. It wasn't like an immense pressure. It was like, I'm coaching these guys, like LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. <laughs> and so once you win those titles, there's a certain confidence. And then once you come out of it <clears throat> and the organization loses LeBron, but you still stick with the head coach, there's more confidence that comes out of it. And I do think that over time, look, they've had some battles behind the scenes that haven't been talked about. But, like, over time, I think Riley has just trusted him more and more and more to put on his imprint. A Pat Riley team would not have done pace and space, would not have done positionless, would not have done – Pat Riley teams, as you know, BJ, they wanted to play through the five, okay? Uh, I played against I, some I, of those teams. They, they, I don't think had, pace and space was part of the no, chemistry. not pace and space. No, Timmy and Zoe, right? You know, P.J. Brown, P.J. Brown. Right. DJ Brown at your four, right? I mean, Anthony Mason at the three, at the three. Okay. That's okay. Uh, I mean, Anthony Mason these days would be a five, right? That's, that's it. He'd be right. five. Um, the, you, you know, Pat Riley, you know, he, you know, he empowered certain guys. You talk about finding diamonds in the rough, whether it was a Starks or a Mason, et cetera. But, but Eric has been allowed to develop his own voice. I do think some places that Eric's gotten better. One of the criticisms of his, his from players to me was that he was not a great communicator during the big three era, that a lot of the vets, they had a lot of vets on that team, guys like Mike Miller and Rashad Lewis and James Jones. And a lot of times they didn't really know what their roles were. And, and I always found it interesting that, and they would complain about it behind the scenes. And Ray was not a fan of Eric's by the end either, by the way, there, there was some frustration there, but I, I always remember that one of the things that, um, you know, that, that stuck out to me about that era was when Eric finally found a consistent rotation is when they had the 27 game win streak where he was rolling out, you know, I think it was what Chalmers and, and Haslam with the big three. And then every game it was Cole, Battier, Anderson, Allen, right? Same nine all the time. Mike Miller only filled in when, when Dwayne was hurt and he found a consistent rotation and he was allowed to coach. And, and, and then he also had the conversation with LeBron in the middle of the second year, are you going to let me coach you? And from there, LeBron let him coach him. And I think one of the testaments to, to Eric is when you hear LeBron speak now, it sounds like Eric. Like as much as he might have resisted <laughs> stuff at the beginning, like 
I, Eric, I was with you, Bleach Report. I was sent up to Cleveland for that horrific year, right? 14, 15? <laughs> yep. And I remember, uh, you know, every, every time, I mean, LeBron would complain to me about Riley behind the scenes, but that every time he'd have a press conference, it was like exactly what Spolster just said when I was down in Miami. Like he was still taking so I think the respect from guys was there, but I think the thing that has happened is Eric has become much better at communicating with players, particularly the rest of the rotation, not just the stars. And I think one of the reasons he's been able to do it is because he's somewhat responsible for developing a lot of them. This is not bringing in a Mike Miller or James Jones or Rashard Lewis from, you know, from another situation. This is Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Derek Jones Jr. Like they helped make them. The guys deserve a lot of credit, but Eric Spolster helped make them NBA players. Because <laughs> yeah. most different scenario now. It's a different scenario. So there's a trust level. Like there's this coach is partially responsible for where I am. I do think that the communication there has gotten much cleaner. Um, and, and you know, there's been and and this year, like I haven't heard of any issues between player and the stuff that you hear about like it just seems like this team is all on the same page so and i do think he deserves enormous credit for it yeah i mean the trust the belief we talk about the chemistry we talk about the culture you know digging into this series a bit i mean it takes a lot to be behind in these games and in terms of you know coming back and winning bj and i talked about it recently though with the three ball obviously you know 15 point 15 point leads can be uh extinguished pretty quickly but when you look at game one and you look at everything that led up to overtime and then obviously the huge moment where bam uh wins the battle with tatum at the rim uh magic johnson says it's the best defensive play he's ever seen in the playoffs i'm sure we'll have an argument about the lebron block but just an unbelievable, another an unbelievable moment. Um, is there such thing as a as a as a turning point in Game One? Is there such thing as a moment where this team believed, okay, we can get to a certain point, but now after this, our level and our confidence is up even higher because, as we've seen, um, it's led to them taking a commanding three-one lead. Yeah, well, I mean, this series right now, uh, they're tied in points, the two teams. And uh, that's so frustrating. BJ, how frustrating is that? They're tied in points. <laughs> and, 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 and they've trailed more than they've led, but yep. they've made the plays that have mattered, right? And so I, I think that what happened in game one, they feed so much off Jimmy's intensity. And I just think, you know, you look at the game that they lost, Jimmy was a no-show. He just wasn't himself. And I, I think part of it is that um, he's not a front runner. Right. Like his whole background is, you know, homeless, undrafted, uh, not recruited, not undrafted, but not recruited. Yep. Right. Goes to, you know, community college, drafted 30th overall. He's not a front runner. And so they got up 2-0 in this series. And it was kind of like everybody's talking about how great they are. And his intensity in game three wasn't there. It was there from jump in game four. But I think you look at game one. Um, they be have believed all year they could come back on anybody. And part of it is their depth, right? Part of it is the fact that they're just going to run more guys at you. And I know Eric is short in the rotation in this series, but they don't throw guys out there who can't do multiple things. And so, um, you know, there are so many games this year, and Goron has been so huge in the postseason. I mean, he didn't have back-to-back 20-point -back games the whole year, and he's had it's nine 20-point games out of 12 in the, in the playoffs. 
But uh, he saved them in so many games this year where their energy was not where it needed to be, and Goran would go on one of these bursts. But, but ultimately, they feed off Jimmy's intensity. And I thought Jimmy's intensity in the fourth quarter of that game one was off the charts. And, you know, it was just a whirlwind, you know. And then you look at game two and the way that they came back in that game. They just believe that in 48 minutes, they have more good players than you do. And the reality is, as much as people downplayed some of these guys because they, you know, they don't know much about them, the reality is they do. They do. I mean, if Goran Dragic is going to play like a 25-year-old instead of a 34-year-old, okay, and you see the growth in Bam and Hero, and you see what the gravity, again, that Duncan Robinson provides, I mean, and then, you know, and then you have Jimmy Butler, who's – there's a crazy stat with Jimmy this year. Their record is significantly better when he makes five or fewer field goals. Significantly. It's not even close. Mm. They like they could not. I remember asking Eric about it earlier. See, they were like thirteen and one when he had five or fewer field goals made, and I'm like, okay, so why is this, right? I mean, it's not because you don't want a guy to make shots. I mean, even Eric kind of laughed at me because he was like, well, it's not like we don't. But it's almost like when he doesn't, it's like he's deferring in some ways to other guys and empowering them, and just picking his spots. And I think he's just really done a really he's done an incredible job of that. And I, I think that's one of the mischaracterizations of Jimmy. It was like, well, is he a true number one? Well, not in the traditional sense, right? Like he's not LeBron, okay? He's he's not Harden. He's not, but he, if he's elevating everybody else's play with his defense, with his intensity, with his playmaking, and then he's a guy who is shooting eighty-five percent from the line and can get there when he has to, when you need yep. him to, he is a number one. But he might end up being the fourth leading scorer on this team next year, because I think Tyler Hero is going to be first. Yeah. So it's just they just have a really unconventional, interesting team. And I think it's been hard for the general media and public to get their arms around it because it doesn't look like other teams. Bam and Jimmy are their two best players, but a lot of nights Dragic, Hero and Robinson have been their three leading scorers. And yeah. so, I mean, Bam gets 20 now by accident, but it's right. not because they're going to him in the post. No, he gets it. Sorry. I was going to say BJ, he gets it in the flow of the game. Robinson gets it in the flow of the game and the, options they're going to have now because heroes ball handling and pick and roll skills have evolved it's it's pretty scary how versatile and unpredictable this team is going to be sorry dribble handoff yeah, yeah, to bj no, it, it's um you know the thing about jimmy in, in watching him is in a traditional sense because we always equate the best player with who scores the most points and but what jimmy is is jimmy is an elite defender He's a, he is, he's not a good defender. He isn't an elite defender. I mean, he, he does some things on the defensive end that are like, they're pretty special. He can get out in the passing lanes. He can guard. I mean, he's really strong. He's quick. He's athletic. And from that standpoint, he allows you to have your team have an identity. He may not be the you know, watching him shoot threes in the playoffs and watching Jimmy shoot threes throughout his career, it kind of makes me laugh because you know he's shooting them now because he has to shoot them. But he understands that part of this game. And the thing about Jimmy that I think he's really taken a big step is in the last quarter or when it's winning time, they put the ball in his hands. And that to me is what an elite player or number one option does. You don't have to score. But he makes the right plays. He makes the he takes the right shots. He makes the right passes. 
And he's always guarding the other team's best player in crunch time. And that, to me, is what a superstar player does. So in a traditional sense, no, he's not putting up consistent 40-point games, but he's consistently playing like a number one option. And he's done that. I mean, he's really done that beautifully in the playoffs. I just want to make sure that we give him his recognition because he's made some key defensive plays. And that play he made last night where he on Jason Tatum, that was an incredible play. That was an incredible play. He loses the ball on one hand, doesn't give up on the play, somehow gets a hand on it. The referees take a review and it's a jump ball. I mean, how many players in the league can actually make that play against a Jason Tatum? Well, and you you, you mentioned it, he, BJ. He wasn't, uh, and trust me, he knows this. Uh, he wasn't one of the on the, one of the two all defensive teams this year. And I'm like, that's I'm looking at a couple of the guys who are on it. And I'm just like, that's insane. Him and PJ Tucker, I have no idea what. <laughs> I, I, both of them, both 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 of them, and I, I know those are sometimes reputation teams, but I mean, Jimmy's reputation is pretty good on that end. Uh, so I thought that one was weird. But yeah, I mean, he's he has he's a different kind of of superstar. Um, but he's the guy they wanted. I remember Riley uh, said at the press conference he introduced him. He said he's a top ten player in the league. And you know, you throw that stuff out on Twitter, and then people start to get to ten pretty quickly. And they're like, well, I don't know, <laughs> top fifteen, maybe top borderline top twenty. But if you're looking for a guy, I mean, again, the guys who have thrived um, in the bubble. You know, Jimmy has played like a top 10 player in the bubble. I mean, there's no question. Um, I, I don't think there's many players in the league that his teammates would want to play with other than him. I mean, and it's just this crazy thing with him because, you know, there was so much talk about his issues in Philadelphia, Minnesota, and at the end in Chicago. And you're kind of like, okay, is it you or is it me? You know, because every team that he's left has gotten worse and every team he's gone to, has gotten better, and now he's in a situation that because of the quote-unquote culture is actually sustainable, and you're kind of like, all right, maybe he wasn't the problem. You know, and, and, he's, and, and UD had the best quote to me about this. Um, you know, I caught up with him in, at MSG walking out in the tunnel, and I'm like, because I was talking to all of Jimmy's teammates about their first impressions of him. He's like, I, he's like, I don't know why people keep asking me this. He's like, you put, you put Jimmy Butler – in a cage with a bunch of cats, he's going to growl. Okay. You put him in there with a bunch of dogs, he's going to be right at home. And, you know, if you listen to Jimmy, he keeps calling our guy. We just put out a t shirt on our website, fiveresofsports.com. We got like 12 Jimmy t shirts now, but one of them is, uh, you know, just dogs. You know, we cross out the under, replace it with just. And that's this group, like, Goran Dragic is a dog. Like, I mean, I, I, you know, he may not look like it to most people, but if you watch him play Eurobasket, like, and scream at the guys on the sideline, like, you know, Tyler Hero just wants to hoop. That's it. Okay, Duncan Robinson, I asked him his first interaction with Jimmy. They had an open run in Miami, and Jimmy went under a screen against Duncan. And this is a guy, again, played at Williams College. He played at Exeter in high school, okay? I mean, you know, prep school kid. He's he so Jimmy goes under a screen first open run Duncan hits a three in his face says don't ever do that again to Jimmy Butler first open run <laughs> Duncan Robinson's a dog <laughs> okay uh, all right that's that's the type of group that they have um, and Bam that's the one thing with Bam like he's he's the nicest young I, he's just I mean they 
he's not a dog yet, but when he gets that in him, like it, it's he's gonna be hard to stop at all because watching him the, play. The thing about Bam, yeah, he, he's tremendous. I mean, he, he, but but here's the thing about it though, BJ, the the way we knew he was gonna be special was kind of a holy trinity of heat bigs all anointed him next. Okay, Zoe from the beginning, this is the guy. Went on every. I mean, Zoe doesn't like doing radio shows. Ray, Zoe was on radio shows saying Bam is the guy. Bam's the next me in this organization, okay? Udonis Haslam wrote a love letter on IG to Bam saying he's the one we're passing the torch to. They still have other young players like Winslow, et cetera, on the roster. And then Chris Bosh spent the offseason working with him on his footwork and all the rest of that and said he's the star he needs to take. So you have Haslam, Bosh, and Zoe, the kind of success that those three guys had the organization, all three of whom are still, you know, connected with the organization chris not officially but he's around all the time and they're saying this is the guy you know that's i mean that that told us everything we needed to know i mean and so you know now it's just a question of bam believing he's the guy because i think there's another level he gets to when he realizes how good he is um and i think that's taking that 12 foot jumper when it's there that's you know when he's got a defender on his heels just going you see so many times bam gets the ball you know, right inside the free throw line and he turns his back to the basket, right? He's trying to, he's trying to find shooters. He's running dribble hand up. Sometimes you're like, man, you're just better than the guy you're going to get. Just go. And I think that's going to happen here for him soon. I mean, he's, like I say, he's getting 22, 11 and five in his sleep right now. <laughs> Wait till he develops the other parts of his game. <laughs> Ethan, there's, there's, there's so much, um, in terms of Celtics heat, there's 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 so much in recent history. It's incredible that we're 25 years of Pat Riley's heat right now. Like it, it's 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 unbelievable. This amount of time has gone by and that Riley attitude. And obviously now we all talk about heat culture has been built and is carrying on. The Celtics heat matchups from, you know, just under a decade ago gave us a lot of entertainment. You mentioned NBA Twitter. That stuff is still back and forth all the time. Obviously, from where I sit, was hoping for a uh, a classic series, something tighter, something more. The games have been dramatic, but this could be over as early as Friday night. My question for you is, with the makeup of these rosters right now and these organizations, are we set up for... Uh, a really exciting three, four, five-year window of Celtics and Heat as two of the top teams in the East, really reinvigorating what this was when LeBron went to Miami and the old-school Big Three was hanging on? Yeah, I wrote a story about this before the series um, on FiveReasonSports.com that, that Riley versus Ainge is the rightful Eastern Conference Finals. Um, if you go back to 2005 when Danny came in, They've made the Eastern Conference Finals six times. And during that period of time, the only franchise that's made it more has been Riley's Heat at seven. I believe the Cavs are at six. So th these are the two best organizations over the past 15 years. I, I think Toronto has made strides to put themselves in that conversation under Masai. But these really are the two. And the other thing about it is they go about it in similar ways. Um, you know, I, you know, you, you look at, again, Philadelphia as kind of the opposite, right? <laughs> you know, the Celtics don't tank. Well, they haven't since ML Carr was the coach. But the, the Celtics don't <laughs> tank. Uh, the Heat have only tanked once. Um, 
which was the 07-08 season after the whole damn team was hurt, including Dwayne, and they just they bagged on that season, and they were pulling guys out of leagues under the G League, you know, the D League at the time, to, to just populate the roster, and they won 15 games, and their reward was Michael Beasley. But anyway, that's, a, that's, another, that's another conversation. But these have been, um, these have been the two class organizations, and, and, you know, obviously the history with Riley and Ainge, um, you know, the shut the bleep up and manage your own team, uh, going back to, to Danny's playing days, you know, against Pat's teams in L.A., uh, it is, uh, these are the two, and they're also, in my view, two of the four East teams that are best set up for the future. Um, I don't know what Brooklyn's going to look like, but obviously I think you've got to throw them in the mix. And I think Toronto, just because even though, you know, they're dealing with a bunch of free agents this year and who knows if Kyle's going to be back and all that sort of stuff, I trust their general manager to have a plan on what the next step is, and I trust their own development culture. Those are the four. Um, I don't think there's any other... Uh, you know, I, I think Indiana is is limited by their Milwaukee their spending no Milwaukee? restraints. No, I, I was gonna, I was gonna let him finish. I I, sh- I should mention Milwaukee, but I don't think Giannis is going to be there in a year. And so I, I th- and again, if you're talking about setting this thing up for the future, I've been comping uh, Milwaukee and Giannis. I've been calling it LeBron uh, 1.0, 2.0, and by that I mean that the situation has, even before these playoffs, I was saying this months ago, this situation reminds me so much of LeBron's first run in Cleveland. It's, it's like the same, okay? Mm-hmm. He's playing in a smaller market where it's hard to attract premium talent. Remember LeBron trying to get Bosch to go to Cleveland, trying to get Amare to go to Cleveland, and ultimately he had to leave, right? Well, now Giannis is going to be only, I think, one year older than LeBron was when he becomes a free agent next year. He's in a, a situation where he has a very good player as his number two. I, I mean, I think Chris Middleton's better than Mo Williams was, but I don't know if he's a number two on a champion. And I think it's going to become increasingly difficult to get that number two. Um, and so it, to me, it's all setting up the same way, where as much as Giannis is committed to Milwaukee, like LeBron was committed to Cleveland, he's going to be hearing about not winning a title. Um, you know, he's going to be wondering where, you know, the next star is going to come with to play with him. You see Durant going, you know, to Brooklyn, you see an emerging power in Miami. Uh, You see, obviously the Lakers, you still can't count them out. The Clippers get their act together and you kind of like looking at it like, can I win here? Can I win big? And then Pat Riley is going to have cap space. (laughs) And, uh, and so I I mean, the whole thing has set up and here's the other thing that nobody talks about. I know BJ, you're on the agent side. I mean, there's only one other premium player in the league who has the same agent as Giannis Antetokounmpo, Bam Adebayo. There's only one player that Giannis works out with in the offseason because after Kobe, he didn't want to work out with anybody else. Bam Adebayo. Okay? Bam has taken the Wade role as prime recruiter. Okay? They're constantly sending out these little messages on Twitter to Bradley Beal. It's just it's hysterical. And they're setting this thing up to make a run in him, serious run in him. Now, they're not the only team, obviously. Um, I think that, to me, the biggest competitors for – I think it's more likely that Giannis ends up with one of these four teams than stays in Milwaukee. Uh, I think it's Miami, Toronto, Dallas, Golden State. Those are the four. Those are the four that would make sense. Um, Miami, because, obviously, proven organization, proven coach, who got the most out of LeBron, in my view, can put that on the same. We're, we can, we can, we're going to unlock you in a, in a way that we unlock LeBron. And obviously, young shooting, controllable contracts, no state tax, 
beautiful weather. It's kind of attractive, right? And Pat Riley's not putting off the Malibu, voca- Malibu vacation for some for Victor Oladipo. He's not. He's putting it off to go after a whale. Um, Toronto is interesting because the relationship with the Maasai, also proven track record, international city. Um, I, I think that makes some sense. Golden State for obvious reasons, right? And Dallas because relationship with Luca and I mean the two of them together would be unreal. Um, but to me, those are the four, and I think they're all more likely in Milwaukee, and that's why I can't put Milwaukee in that class because I don't know if it's sustainable in the same way that it wasn't sustainable for Cleveland with LeBron uh, when he left. BJ is stunned. There it is. <laughs> good stuff, Ethan. I'm letting, really it, I'm letting that marinate right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to drop the mic for all of us. <laughs> I'm not letting Eric somehow get in a Celtic statement. It's well, done. I was going to say. No, right now, say, we'll, we'll, you we'll can't say it, anything. We'll, Eric, we'll, we'll say pick anything. It up again. <laughs> we'll pick it up again on the eve of Game 7 next week. So, BJ, I've lost track of our episodes, but I've never seen you sink into a chair just absorbing basketball info and knowledge like that and then just being like yeah i'm good i've i've just got to sit and think on all of that this is this is the first time i i I, i'm a huge i'm a huge pat riley fan first of all and uh i have the ultimate respect for him what he's achieved in his career in his career as a as a player as a coach when he first started there in showtime playing against him for many years. I still have bumps and bruises from all of those Celtics. I mean, not Celtics, those Knicks teams. Yeah. watching him go and transition to the front office down, well, the coach, then he goes to the front office down in New York, then comes back and coaches the team to a championship once, once they get Shaq. And then obviously what he's doing now in an executive capacity, it's been, it's been, incredible to watch what he's done in basketball over this length of time to be able to sustain this level of excellence and change with the times you know we're always talking about the athletes are changing well certain things don't change winning doesn't change and pat riley has figured out over a generation of players you know when he was playing what in the 70s coaching in the 80s, the 90s, 2000s. He's figured out how to get to the mountaintop over and over again. And um, so my hat's off to him watching what he has done and mentoring Coach Spo and this organization and the culture that he's built down there. It's been truly, it's, it's been incredible. And um so I, I'm just always intrigued. I always applaud excellence. And uh, he has been one of the pillars of the NBA for many, many years. A, uh, a basketball journey like no other. Um, I think you look at the body of work from playing at Kentucky, being a Laker. And then, you know, I don't know how many people know, like how he came to be the coach of the Lakers. He's pulled out of the broadcast booth and and then he's leading showtime and uh that leads to everything that you just covered and what ethan mentioned it's uh it's truly incredible and as as, you know last night before the game i was i was thinking about uh all right if the celtics can even this series and make it a best of three 
and as much as I listen, I love watching the Denver Nuggets play basketball, right? And there's no bad finals matchup, but you have a Celtics Lakers final or a Heat Lakers final, like the 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 fun, the subplots, the the the, the Riley connection back to the Lakers, the LeBron connection back to Miami. Uh, there there's so much there, but um, you know. Me rooting Denver for the Celtics. Denver will have something to say. Oh, Denver of course. will have something oh, to say about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, from the Celtics side, you can sit here and say, you know, this should easily be 2-2 or 3-1 the other way. And Denver should be up in their series 2-1. Uh, to one. But you got to play every possession. You got to play every moment. And, you know, hats off to Denver, though, for what they've done. I mean, they've come back from 3-1 down twice. And they're they've shown that they're very capable of, of winning this series. But, um, yeah, this Miami Heat, uh, this team, this organization, I got no problem saying it. It's played out at this point, but the Heat culture is beyond impressive. And um, it's not an accident that one game from the finals. So we will see how this plays out. As we're uh, wrapping this up, Lakers and Nuggets, I believe, are underway. So by the time... Our audience hears this on Friday. That will be 2-2 or 3-1 LA. And then obviously a, a lot will be decided through the weekend. But um, to, to say this has been an exciting ride during the playoff bubble would, of course, be a very large understatement. So I'm sure we're going to have some uh, crazy stuff ahead. I appreciate you checking on me earlier in the series because uh, my blood pressure was way up. But uh I've put things back in uh, into reality. And answer your phone, please. Answer your phone. Don't answer your uh, phone only only when you win. They don't so be a you front know, runner. No, you know why I didn't answer the phone is, thankfully, uh, work has been that good kind of chaotic busy. I've actually been starting the games like 45 minutes late and playing catch up and fast forwarding through the commercials <laughs> in halftime. So that's why I didn't answer my phone. I will always answer my phone. I called you the second half, so I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Oh, I was still behind. I was like an hour behind that night. That was game two, right? Yeah, that was game two. It was game two, and the whole world had watched the game already, and I'm still in the middle of the third quarter not looking at my phone. But I appreciate you checking on me, buddy. This was uh, a great episode, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys. Great show, my friend. Special thanks to our producer, Mike Lieber. The one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Tom Phillip, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show, dropping each and every Monday. John Fanta and Kim Adams talk college ball every Tuesday with Full Court Press. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Monica McNutt and King McClure bring you buckets, boards, and blocks on Thursdays. And, of course, Fridays, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download, rate, review, share, most importantly, enjoy. We'll see you next week on the Pure Hoops podcast. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.